welcome to the Empower to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, Jesse Ferris and Becca McKay join me to talk about uh, how we teach our kids to self-regulate. This is a topic we've talked about a lot of different times in a lot of different ways on the show before. And uh, if you are... uh, familiar at all with this topic, you know that there is no amount of conversation we could have to exhaust this topic. And so today we'll talk about what is a parent's role in self-regulation? How are we teaching our kids that? And what do we need to do personally before we are able to do the work of teaching our kids how to regulate their emotions? Um, Spoiler alert, as always, this conversation starts with us as parents. Womp womp. (laughs) At some point, we will uh, discuss something that is all kids' fault and not parents' responsibility, but not today. (laughs) Without any further ado, here we are, uh, Jesse Ferris, Becca McKay, and myself. Well, all right, we got Jesse Ferris and Becca McKay with us here today. And so we're going to talk about something that um, is, I, I do feel like talked a lot about in um, the kind of connected parenting general dental parenting world. Um, and that is self-regulation and the idea of self-regulation and co-regulation. How do we regulate? How do kids regulate? Um, and as we were talking before we started to record all of us have our stories. Um, we will, we will keep those anonymous today. We will not out the people in our lives, um, by telling those stories. But I th- I do think it's helpful for us to kind of frame what this conversation is, is kind of centered around. And so, um, Jesse or Becca, I don't know which one of y'all want to start. Um, Jesse, why don't, why don't you start and just kind of sharing what we talked about before we recorded. So uh, when we teach our, our ETC parenting course, now called Cultivate Connection, but the the prior iterations as well, um, this is something we always begin talking about. It, um, and like right out of the gate, um, it brought lots of conviction for me because I realized how badly I was botching um, parenting and a lot of it had to do with this topic today. So Jesse, why don't you frame self-regulation for us and we'll start talking about this because um, there's a really unfortunate first conclusion that we come to when we talk about this. Sure. I think um, one of the common experiences in parenting is having to withstand other people's feelings. That might be just having human relationships too, right? <laughs> But uh, especially in parenting, when our kids aren't able to self-regulate and can't take the lead in co-regulating, it's our responsibility to do that. And I think a lot of us as parents are like, I don't even know how... I don't even know how to help my child because anytime they flip out, it makes me flip out too. Mm -hmm. And this is a common question that we get asked by parents. And I think too, like when you think about regulation, even just that word, I think what comes to people's mind is calm down, but it's really a lot more than that. Um, My favorite analogy of regulation is like thinking about a thermostat. So when it's like, in Memphis last summer, 119 degrees, <laughs> you know, you got to set your thermostat to blow out that cool air, right? You got to, you got to right. set that setting to get it to cool down. But then in the wintertime when we have like everything is frozen because everything is, you know, underwater and then it freezes overnight, well, we got to turn the heat on. And so regulation is like when you have to make an internal adjustment to meet the moment. Um, so it's not just like calming down. Sometimes it's 
you know, the scientific word is alerting, but it's like the right amount of calming or alerting for that situation. And so I think when we just think about regulation, again, we always apply it to like those big explosive crisis level meltdowns, but we got to also just like take a step back and just remember that regulation is everything. And, you know, real quick, just kind of how does it develop in people when we're babies, our parents are external regulators. So like we're cold, all we can do as babies is cry. We're hungry. We cry. We need a diaper. We cry. We're bored. We cry. (laughs) Like our only communication model at the very beginning is I'm upset. Help me. And then the parent has to make all the adjustments or the caregiver has to make all the adjustments for us. And then over time we can co-regulate as we get a little older, we can co-regulate. We can meet our caregiver and find that experience together. And actually, um, one of our favorite explanations of this process is from Robin Goebel and some of the people that she's studied from. And she talks about how self-regulation is when we internalize that co-regulation. So even as adults, when we're quote unquote self-regulating, it's because we've had that co-regulating experience. This, you know, from ages and stages, like it can be really complicated because in our when we go through ages and stages, it can be really complicated because we can think about, um, you know, like a baby for an example. And there's like a lot of debate of like how much comfort and care do I provide my kid? How much do I leave them alone to kind of self-regulate? And, you know, there's lots of research out there, but where we at ETC in the connected parenting world would land is that by providing support, we're actually scaffolding that kid to develop self-regulation over time. And we won't go super deep into just infant for today, (laughs) but then like when Jesse's talking about, okay, but whenever the kid's crying and you're tired and you're stressed and the other kid needs you, you know, your ability to soothe that baby toddler, teenager spouse is like so dependent on how you're doing in that moment. And I just think that that's like not a one-time thing. That's like every hour, every day earlier today, something happened. It stressed me out. And Jesse was like, Becca, that was your window of tolerance. Like it it just closed. Like you're not okay. So like the stressor that happened was tiny, but because I had other stressors going on, that's right. Man, I was out of whack. And Jesse co-regulated me like as a grown adult coworker, she sat with me. She just said, it's okay. It makes sense that that stressed you out. You're not crazy. Like you just sat with me for a second. And I think that's a model of like what happens over and over. So it's this like dynamic thing that happens all the time. Right. I think, isn't it the case though, when we first start parenting or maybe we first enter a relationship, we realize maybe our lack of skills in this area. Um, maybe, maybe there was like kind of a, a lack that we had in our childhood or adolescence. And we have, we, we are having to learn how to regulate ourselves in the heat of a moment or, you know, in in any kind of point in time, Mm -hmm. but I'm thinking even as a new parent, I'm thinking it was much more difficult for me to regulate when my kids were upset than maybe a little further down the road, because we need that practice as parents too. Right. Well, unless back up a little bit because we're, we're talking all about regulation and about, you know, co-regulating and when does the tolerance and all of that. If you're brand new to this conversation or somebody just sent this and they're making you listen to this right now, um, I hope you like it. But also <laughs> the the premise of what we're talking about is that um, human beings, all, all of us, when we encounter stress, 
our body reacts in different ways, right? And, and for some of us, we are um, capable of handling a high level of that stress before it sends us into a stress response. Um, and for some of us, especially those of us who might've experienced early um, trauma, adversity, or stress, or, or loss early in life, the the trigger, the barrier that, that that stress has to hit to send you into a stress response is much lower. So um, that's what we end up finding a lot of times. And I'll just share my own side of this. We're, we're parenting early on and, uh, and just that all we're talking about, we're tired. We had two kids under nine months old. I know that sounds impossible, but <laughs> one came home through adoption. Then we found out we were pregnant. And so then we, you know, we had two kids under nine months old and that and by itself was enough to make mm -hmm. us insane people. But the thing for us that was um, more perplexing was then our regular ways of parenting and stuff we thought was a, a non-issue was all of a sudden like constant sources of stress for us because like, why are we having these explosions over these little things? Like, I don't understand. And I, and you know, I've shared this story 10,000 times, but talked to Mo and just said, Hey, we're terrible parents or I'm a terrible parent. I don't know what I'm doing. This is terrible. And we step into an ECC class and the first, the very first, uh, class we're, we're learning about the brain and the amygdala and the amygdala is what regulates your for lack of a better term, your stress brain versus your decision-making brain and, and your survival brain versus your decision-making brain. And so, uh, learning that like when you've experienced early trauma, that amygdala, which, which sends you into your survival brain is way quicker to flip than if you have, you know, for, for a grown adult who has lived in, in, a, in a pretty, um, And so if you have not encountered a lot of stress early on in life or um, early, early trauma or adversity and stuff like that, that, that trigger is a lot slower to flip than it is for maybe our kids who have experienced it early. And so once I started to understand that my empathy went through the roof mm -hmm. because I was like, Oh, okay. So what's happening here? We just have to be able to help teach how, when that stress hits, how to regulate and bring it down. And so that, that was when Jesse, you talked about mirroring and then mirror neurons, which blew my mind when I first learned about it. But why don't we talk about that here? Because it's going to lead into our next part of our conversation. Sure. We were talking about how I think a lot of times when someone that you're interacting with is blowing up or melting down, um, we might come into it and tell them to calm down kind of what Becca was saying. So we might say, you know, come in with that soothing voice. It's okay. I'm, I'm right here. But if your kid is big and loud, that might make things worse. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we sometimes, uh, suggest trying, of course, just try it. It may not work for you. It may work is matching their facial expression and their affect. So whereas you're not flipping out, you maybe make your eyes big, like the other person's eyes are big and you make your eyebrows go up like the other person's eyebrows are up and you come in at maybe the, even the same tone of voice right. as they are. So the kid's saying, I don't have enough time to study for that test tomorrow. I'm out of time. I've got to go to bed. And then you come in and you say, Oh my gosh, you are so worried about this. I can tell that's a really big deal to you Yeah. versus it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And matching that tone, that affect might make them feel heard and feel understood, understood. And it might just yeah. be what they need. Well, I think, you know, immediately to that, you know, this, the unfortunate part of this conversation is that <laughs> like with most times we talk about stuff on this podcast, like it comes back to us first as parents, yeah. right? Um, 
there are times where somebody flips a lid and it flips my lid instantly when it happens. And so, uh, my wife will walk in a situation and be like, Hey, what is going on here? And like, can I give you the eyes? Like, what are you doing? And later on, she'll say, why, why do you think that made you, um, why do you think that triggered you so bad? And it takes a minute to, to sometimes figure out, oh, here's why. And it's something I'm very insecure about myself. And I'm terrified of our kids having that same insecurity paralyzed then when they get old. So I'm trying to nip it in the bud now and cut it off now and not let them, you know. And, and so in my stress, I'm only escalating their stress. And so one of the things that often happens is when, when you start to get to that age of like three, four, five, those, the, that kind of that meltdown age where your, your kids start to in church, we always talk about, um, growing up, like that's the, that's the age that you learn that kids are, kids are sinners. Like that's, that's the age that you see sin for the first time. Now that's a bit of a, of a mis, uh, misnomer because that's the age where kids are starting to be able to externally process and verbalize. Like I need some help and I don't know how to handle this. And so it's very easy if you are, uh, unaware of what's going on in the brain to then just begin treating that like a logical situation. Like, what are you so worried about? Stop freaking out right now. Which if you are, if you are in a bad place and you're already stressed out about something and someone brings that to you, <laughs> no one ever goes, Oh, you're right. I should calm down now, father. Thank you for that. Would you like a cup of tea or something? <laughs> like, no, they're like, you calm down. I'm fine. So we can so quickly escalate. And when we come in, it, and Jesse, you mentioned this, like coming in too low can also sometimes escalate the situation. Well, to throw a wrench in all of that, I think a lot of this comes down to like the 2.0 of that is us understanding our kids and being curious about them individually. Because we, yeah, I will say like, there's, there's a uh, kid I know that coming in low like that is the only chance that you have to being able to get the, get the conversation like tone calmed back down. And there's another one that I have. If you come down low, they, they fly up even higher. Like, Oh, so you don't even think this is important. And so like we learned that the hard way, but once we learned it though, it does give us an, a clear avenue and we understand how to then begin approaching them. And, uh, Becky, you talked about the thermostat idea. Why, why don't we kind of talk about that idea of like, you know, when the house is extra hot, it might take longer time mm -hmm. to calm down. Yeah. Think about, you know, you went on summer vacation, you left your house for a couple days, you turned the, you turned the AC to like 90 or something. <laughs> and then you're, you're back in the house and you're hitting it. You know, if you're my husband at like 61 or like me <laughs> at like 71, um, cause we all have different comfort levels anyway, but it's going to take some hours. Like we're not going to walk into that house and it's not going to feel comfortable to right. us for a minute. Yeah. And I think, you know, taking that analogy to regulation with people, um, man, do we want quick fixes so bad? Yeah. <laughs> like we yeah. just do as humans, you said it, Jesse, we don't like it when other people are upset. We don't like it when we're upset. We don't like to be uncomfortable. And so God, we just want everything to be like, okay, I'm going to do this tactic or strategy. And then within two minutes, everything should be soothed. Well, sometimes that's just not the case. Like sometimes <laughs> it takes time and it depends, you know, if that house is 90 degrees cause you were gone or maybe, you know, the heat went out in the winter and it's freezing cold and it takes you a long time to heat it back up. So just that kind of principle applies here. You said something just a second ago that I thought was, was interesting, which is just the idea, like every kid is so different and what they need is so different. Mm -hmm. And it just made me think like, I oh mean, like we, 
I would say the three of us at this table are really great with kids. I would say that as like a generic thing, but like pretend like each one of us was like a substitute teacher. And like our job every day was just like go into a random group of kids, 30 kids and just like make it happen. There would be some days that we connected really well and easily and our personalities meshed and like we did awesome. And there would be other days <laughs> where it would not go that way. And I think, you know, we, we can't overstate the relational importance of like building that long-term relationship, whether that's kids in your home, kids that you serve, kids that you interact with, um, whether you're a counselor, teacher, whoever you are listening today, like it does take time. <laughs> and so it can feel like, man, I've been working with kids for 15 years and nine times out of 10, when I do this approach, it really helps. But with this kid, that is not getting me anywhere. So it takes a level of like regulation takes creativity. Like it takes a level of creativity and getting to know individual people. Um, And I think the other thing about regulation that's come into mind with this conversation is, sorry if I'm taking us somewhere that you didn't mean me no, for us to go, good. JD, but um, is this idea of like, man, we want people to have the same emotional response that we would have. Yes. Don't you think like as adults, we're like, that is a silly thing for you to be upset about. Don't we feel that way all right. the time? Yes. Like that is so silly that you're worried about that. Your teacher has given you A's on everything. There is no world in which you should be nervous about that test. Or you were first in line yesterday. It should not matter that you were first in line. You had the blue plate at lunch and sister can have the blue plate at dinner. Like it does not matter. Yesterday on the way to school, you can sit them. Yeah. Man, we just like diminish each other's feelings. And I think we think you said it using logic is going to (laughs) connect with that emotional part of the brain, but it just doesn't. And then I think about as an adult, like what are the things that make me like dysregulated in front? Like if I'm really anxious about something, you guys are my friends. You're not going to come to me and be like, well, that is just a silly thing to be anxious about. Like, that's not how you show empathy. But then with kids, aren't we constantly just like telling them you're so silly for feeling that feeling? Right. Yes. Well, and the thing that I was thinking about when you started that, the reason I was like, oh yes, when, when we are, so it's our, it's our oldest 13th birthday today. So, um, he's, you know, turning 13 and, uh, about eight feet tall. He's about eight feet tall. Right. <laughs> so you're We're, saying you're feeling a little weepy today. Is that what you're saying? Well, what I'm feeling is lucky that he's about to outgrow. We, we share the same shoe size right now and he's got some amazing shoes and pretty soon he's going to keep on growing. He's going to outgrow these amazing shoes that he's got. And so I'm encouraging him to keep them clean and take care of them. Cause one day I'm going to get my 13 year olds hand me down shoes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so like, yes, definitely keep your shoes clean. But the thing that I was thinking about is, you know, I, I love to cook and I love, um, fancy food. I mean, Jesse and I share that. We talk about that all the time. Like I, and I love to, and so a couple of years ago, my wife got me this, um, the best Christmas gift she's ever got me, which is cooking classes with my favorite chef in town. And they were over zoom. It was during the pandemic. It was a way to fundraise for his restaurant. So I've got this bank of YouTube videos of our zoom classes that I go back to every now and then. And there's a bunch of recipes, a bunch of different sauces and techniques and different, you know, things that he teaches in there. And so when it's, when it's time for me to have like a fancy meal, like if it's Valentine's day, and we're going to stay in and I'm going to cook. Like I get so excited to make the fanciest meal possible and I want it to be delicious and I'm going to put all this effort into it. And, and my wife and I love to enjoy food that way. Like that's, that's it. If I did that for the 13 year old's birthday and we had like, you know, <laughs> chicken beer blanc and, you know, roasted Brussels and like adults might love that 
that uh, that meal, he would feel so offended. Like, you <laughs> thought I wanted this crap on my birthday? Yeah. Where's the five guys? Like, I want burgers and fries and Coke and greasy food and ice cream, you know? And so how cruel would it be for me as a parent mm-hmm. to just assume, well, I would want this fancy meal for myself if this was my birthday. So I'm going to do this for you. And if I don't communicate that ahead of time, and then he shows up and he brings that to me, like, you seriously thought this is what I wanted? And I had just put in so much time to cook for, I would be so offended that he was offended. And we would then just re-offend each other over and over in that conversation. Well, he's my kid and I love him. So today's not about me. So I'm trying to think about how can we make sure that birthday dinner is right? And what do you want for dessert? And what, what kind of things are going to make him feel special and loved today? And that principle transfers exactly over to this whole idea of how we care for them as well. Right? Like just because I might need to be completely alone with nobody talking to me for a few minutes, and then I'm going to need to verbally process from it, whatever does not mean that's how our our kids are going to handle their stress as well. And so I just got to learn the same way I'm going to figure out what kind of shoes he might want or what kind of dinner he's, he's wanting on the plate. Like I've also got to figure out like when he's feeling stressed, like what does that feel like to him? And then what helps him to be able to to then like regulate as well. I think you're highlighting why I felt like I was not great at this when I was younger, when I was a new mom, when I was a, a new adult, Yes, because I didn't know my kids very yeah. well yet. And yeah. I didn't know myself very well right. yet. Right. Right. Or even know myself as a parent. And so I think, um, <laughs> it's, we don't like this answer, this whole, like, you have to try it out, right? Like try it, try it, make some mistakes and learn that way. But I, that is something that we're all doing as parents is like, well, that didn't work. Okay. I tried to, I tried the mirroring neurons. That one's not working for right. that kid. Right. And, and you hear it in JD's description of like, I know that that's going to wor- not work for this kid, but it will work for this kid. And you do that through the process of trial and error right? to, to our own detriment. But <laughs> I mean, it, it's the only way really. And I think, um, it also pulls out for me this, this idea of the capacity to be present to emotion. And that's a whole nother can of worms, right? We could have a whole nother podcast on the way that we are present to emotions and where that comes from and how that's built in our lives. But I think um, as we're exploring as parents and adults, being able to think about, all right, what what was it that triggered me? And sometimes it might just be this person was unhappy. And right. I don't like it when people aren't happy, uh, aren't unhappy. Mm-hmm. Wait, am I, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. yeah. So, um, I, I don't know, but I, I, I think what it's pulling out for me hearing you guys talk is just how, how much being known is central to regulation. Like mm-hmm. to feel yeah. that someone is present with you and knows you and is sticking with you, even in the midst of whatever it is that needs to be regulated. Yep. That's, that's perfect, Jesse. Yes. Like, and I think the, you know, the beautiful thing about, because I would imagine that if you are in a place of despair, when you come into this podcast, you're probably back to a place of despair now. Like, Oh, cool. Great. Yeah. So just try stuff and figure it out. And like, there is no answer we can give you. Like, thanks a just, lot, Jesse. Yeah. Learn your kids and, and, and parent them well. Well, that's why I'm listening to you guys, dummies. Like I need y'all to give us something to talk. So we'll get to some practical steps in a second. The, the beautiful thing about that is 
yes, there's learning. Yes, there's different, you know, trial and error and all that. There is though some science that does kind of guide these things. And the beautiful thing about the way technology and education and academics and research is developing and, and quickening in our, our time now is that we can point to some research to say, that give you a perfect example. My dad uh, ran cross country growing up. I ran cross country growing up and, and track and stuff. And if my dad was going to cross country practice growing up, they'd be in the middle of a hard track workout and the coach would be screaming for anybody that like even looked like they were going to get near the water hose. Like only sissies drink water. You're not going to drink water out here unless you're weak. Keep going. Strong people don't need water. Well, luckily science has borne that out to be a complete falsehood. Right. So like, you know, the coach is just doing what he knew because his coach before him had taught him this. Well, now we have some science to change that particular part of coaching. So I had a coach that was yelling at me about, you know, effort and trying harder and you can go harder than you think you can all that. He wasn't yelling, don't drink water. Cause we now have some research to show <laughs> water actually helps your performance a great deal. So we'll get into a little bit of the science stuff now and, and kind of give you some hope in terms of like having some frameworks for this. But again, some of these things are, you're going to have to try with trial and error. Some of these things you're just going to start to see like, Oh, there is a scientific correlation here that when we do handle these situations in certain ways, they do work in helping to deescalate. So, um, Becca, like if, if you will, why don't you talk us through kind of like some of our, um, core principles of like, when we talk about self-regulation and how to kind of co-regulate with kids, like some of the practices that are, that are science-based that we're looking at, like what are some of those things and, and what's happening in our brains as we, as we are helping our kids with that? Absolutely. I mean, I think the easiest or not easiest, but a simple, thing to think about is start with the body. Um, before you jump to the emotional piece or the logical piece, start with the body. So what are physical things that you can do together with your kid or offer to your kid that can get them moving, that can get them hydrated, that can get them a snack? Because if you remember, you mentioned at the beginning, JD, whenever someone is dysregulated, that upper part of their brain, the logical part, it's like the light switch is turned off. Mm -hmm. And so in order to get that light switch back on, so while that light switch is turned off, I mean, I could have the most beautiful, eloquent <laughs> argument in the world as right. to why this is going to be okay. Or I can tell you it is going to be okay. But like kiddo doesn't believe that in the moment or we, right. you know, we who are dysregulated, let's not just say the kids, us too. Right. Um, when, when a human is dysregulated, that part's turned off. And so physical things, even for yourself, if you start to get dysregulated, um, Jesse and I were talking over our lunch break about like getting up and taking a walk. Like sometimes yeah. dysregulated is I'm foggy. I can't focus. We were on a meeting today and at the end of the meeting, I was like, my brain is not working. Oh, I need to eat lunch, drink water, and let's walk up and down the hall. Like that's what I needed to do. And so same with our kids. Like if the, if we can get them moving from one location to, to the next, if we can offer them chances, you know, some, some in the schools, like sometimes I had kiddos and I would like toss a ball at them and we would toss a ball back and forth. No talking yet, just start tossing a ball back and forth and that rhythm and that motion and that I'm just with you. Like we're just here. I'm just right next to you. Yeah. Like I'm not going anywhere. And I'm communicating that with my body more than my words. Then, 
you know, if you've tried that, if you found out some things that work or don't, you know, the next kind of piece is that emotional connection. You mentioned it, Jesse, but like, how am I communicating that? Like I'm with you and I'm present to your emotion and I'm not going to jump right away to like dismissing that emotion. And then on the flip side, I'm not going to jump into letting that emotion dysregulate me. <laughs> so I'm not going to get caught up in your emotion. I'm not going to push away your emotion. I'm just going to be with you. And that looks so different for different kids. But I would say one big picture principle that's helped me a lot with a lot of different kids is the idea of like side by side instead of face to face. So if I can put myself side by side with a kid who's dysregulated any kind of way, let's walk down the hall. Let's let me sit by you. Let me sit down and just start coloring and see if you'll ask if you can join me. Like anything you can do side by side with a kid who's dysregulated instead of coming at them head on. Sometimes that can be super helpful. Other times, you know that now everyone's going to laugh because I'm going to give the opposite. <laughs> Other times, getting that eye contact, just like being there with him. Tell me what you're upset about. I would love to hear that. I get that. That is frustrating. Um, just like kind of communicating, like I'm with you, kind of that mirror neuron matching kind of approach. And then only once you can tell the lights are back on, like the kid is processing, their body seems more regulated. Now, again, the examples I'm given maybe sound more so like you're de-escalating, but let's say you need to alert. Let's say a kid is, or like me, I'm foggy. I'm not, I, I can't, I'm not uh, alert enough for this moment that I'm in. Same kind of principles. Can we get our body moving? Can we get a drink of water? Can I communicate that I'm with you? You know, I get that you're exhausted, man. Like I get that. What can we do to help you process? Like yeah. it's not, um, it's, I want to say it's not rocket science and I don't mean that in a demeaning way. Like it's not rocket science, meaning like it's not all the logical, it's not all the like making sense of it. It's that baseline, that physical, that emotional, it's that kind of a connection that can help get somebody unstuck. So for me, thinking about someone who's dysregulated in my own, this is not endorsed by any professional. This is just <laughs> Becca McKay brain. Um, in my own thought process around regulation, if I can tell myself whether someone is dysregulated up or dysregulated down, if in my mind, my internal dialogue can be, they're stuck, how do we get unstuck? That's helpful for me because I think in the past, it's like, it can easily, easily become a power struggle. Like it can just so easily become a conflict. And then, you know, I can escalate them further. A lot, a lot, a lot of dysregulation in kids happens when adults unintentionally push their buttons, <laughs> poke them, say the thing, use the, use the tool, use try to make them feel embarrassed is a big one or shame is a big one or misunderstood is a big one for, for the teenagers in y'all's lives. Um, whenever we poke those buttons, yeah. man, we can provoke a kid so many times. I have worked with just fantastic, amazing, incredible teachers who just, just push the kids buttons, maybe unintentionally. And once that dysregulation pops off, man, if you're not really, really thoughtful, the gut reaction is to jump in and protect yourself. Like the gut right. reaction as an adult is like, no, you will not. Like, I will not let this happen, especially in front of an audience of siblings or someone else, right. or we're at target and we're in the aisle. Like that, that, uh, idea to protect our own image pops up a lot of times in adults. So I know that was a little bit of rambling, but some of this, some of the science behind it is this whole idea of like regulate first before reasoning. Dr. Bruce Perry talks about that a lot. Like regulate first, regulate first. That's the first step. If we're not regulated, the rest of it 
I mean, it can be the most beautiful tactic in the world. It's not going to, it's not going to do too much. What would you add to that, Jesse? Well, I'm just thinking, I love that you're reminding us that we could be too ramped up or too kind of down low. And I think for kids, especially young kids, um, we can make assumptions about their behavior being one direction, but it might be the other. For example, they might be melting down because they're too tired mm-hmm. or because they're too too dysregulated, overwhelmed, like too, too up high. Um, I have a kiddo that speeds up the more tired she gets, you know? So it's like, we can't make assumptions that one behavior means one thing. We've got to be investigators, right? Like we keep talking about. Um, and I keep thinking about, I loved the analogy you gave about cross country with your dad and yourself, JD, and how maybe some of our old science would have, and maybe you still hear this today, or maybe this is your kind of knee jerk reaction is to ignore what's happening. Oh, just ignore that tantrum it'll go away right? or, um, you know, send them away so they can get their stuff together. But, uh, that is not what works for our kids. Our kids need to experience that Mm co-regulation because they do not have the skill set to calm down. Mm -hmm. And if you see your kid calming down on their own, chances are something else is happening along with that. That's not always a great thing that we want happening. One thing that I had to learn as we shifted into older kids stages is that like that, uh, that principle, which we, we really abide by with the ATC to not send our kids away to get their stuff together. It's not, you go to your room and you come down and you're ready to talk about this. But, uh, some of the co-regulation is, Hey, it feels like you might need a minute to yourself to, to just think and listen to some music and calm down again. Some, some kids you're going to say that and it's like, I bet you would want me to go away from you. Don't you, you hate me. Like, or some kids are going to get just like storm off and that's the best they can do in that moment to heed the advice. Right. And so we've just learned that, that we've got some kids and they, they need a minute. And so they might storm off when a conversation starts. And now what we're working toward is, Hey dad, I need a minute. Hey mom, I need a minute. That's what we're working toward. We're, we're getting there. But with others, we know if we send them away, that's going to be a, a sign of, you know, Oh, well, they don't want me around the kid. So again, being students also like co-regulating means understanding your kids, learning your kids so that you can help them to negotiate their own needs. And so there are times that a kid is going to want to dig in an argument with you and you can see they're not back to logic yet. And that, that desire to dig into prod is more coming out of frustration and stress than it is from a place of like, I need to be heard and here's my real thought out processed emotional feelings. And so when we get to that point, sometimes we will have to say, Hey, feels like you might need a minute or we might have to model and say, you know what? I, I actually, I need a minute. Um, I need a minute just to calm down for a second. I'm going to go walk a lap around the house or I'm going to go grab some water. Do you want some water? No. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to go get some water and then I'm going to come back to you and we're going to talk in a second. So that it's it, again, it's being a student, but also understanding sometimes that co-regulation piece is not to have a time in with the kid who is dying to get away from you for a second because yeah. they feel so much shame and they need to be able to sit by themselves and, and relax for a minute. Yeah. It's like our keyword is offer. You want to offer yeah. your presence. You want to offer the strategy or the tool. Um, and then it's theirs to take 
you know, it's theirs to, to engage with. And so if you're offering your presence and they're communicating in every kind of way, they need a minute. Yeah. Listen, listen yeah. to their words, listen to their behavior, listen to like what's going on there. Um, and then I think too, it's like this idea of man, I know I always bring it back to marriage. Y'all know I'm like kind of a newlywed still. So we're still figuring this out. But when my husband is upset, he needs a minute. When I'm upset, I need to be like right up under you. Like I need to be right with you. I need to be next to you. I need to know that you don't hate me. Yeah. Um, and so in our marriage, it's like learning that, oh my goodness, we have complete opposite ways of regulating. <laughs> and so when one of us is upset, we do a pretty good job of like meeting each other in the moment, right. but we're like still working it out. Like, what does it mean whenever we're both, what does it mean whenever our needs are clashing? Mm-hmm. And so same with our kids. Like, I think you just mentioned a great example of like, Hey, I need a minute. Like I I think knowing yourself, you said it, Jesse, too, like in the early days of parenting, you didn't know yourself as a mom, yeah. knowing yourself and then thinking about, you know, in a relationship with a spouse, there's a little bit more of like, we can, we can talk it out and like, we can make some compromise. We can make some, you know, plans and like in our marriage, this is what we're going to try. This is what we're going to be I would say we have to use a little bit more like self-sacrificial, you know, sacrificial love yeah. with our kids. Yeah. And so, but you have to know it, you have to know Ooh, this is really hard for me. And so do you have a spouse or co-parent who, like you said, your wife would like walk in and be like, okay, buddy, like (laughs) you might need to walk away from this one. Like, is there anybody in your space who can like call you out or can you like start to call yourself out? And what are those on the fly things that help you? Like, what are those little things? I was going to say, let's talk about what we do when our regulating strategies for ourselves and our kids don't match, because I do think that probably happens a lot. Right. And when you find yourself getting upset when your kid is upset, that can be really difficult because as, as Becca's pointing out, we are required to be bigger, stronger, kinder. Like it's our responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not our equal, it's our child Mm -hmm. and we're responsible for caring for them. So, um, I was thinking about, um, a kiddo that does not is a little bit like Becca likes to be right up under you when they're upset. And I might need a minute and have like, have a chance to take a deep breath or to talk to someone about my feelings. Although, you know, it's not really appropriate for me to talk to my kid about my feelings in that moment. Right. Um, there was a time early in my parenthood where I tried to distance myself from that child and it was a disaster. It was a disaster because that, that kiddo wanted to do anything they could do to get to me. Yeah. And it's when you've got the pull and the push, you just don't want to be in that kind of situation. But I know there's a lot of parents that are listening to this right now that are like, I don't know what to do when I can't get away from my kid. So, So what would y'all think are some strategies? I love to take a walk personally, Mm -hmm. like get out the door, say, and use JD's tactic, but instead of removing myself from the kid, which is not possible to say, Hey, can you, can you come with me to the fridge really quick? I need to take a drink of water. That's like some deep breaths and some silence for a second that it, that can be done together. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, we've kind of stumbled through this one and, you know, the other frustrating thing is that kids change too. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I was just thinking of an example that wouldn't work anymore, but, um, you know, I would say a couple of years ago, uh, it, like, you know, a, a lot of times at the center of, uh, they're like, 
push against regulating and, and settling and repairing things, which we'll talk about in a second. I, the, the center of that is this feeling of shame, right? Mm-hmm. And that can be compounded when there's people around. And sometimes you're just in a house with a lot of people because there's a lot of people who live in your house. And if you're yelling and screaming, it's not like everybody can just like know intuitively to put on noise canceling headphones. And sometimes you're loud enough that it's pushing through those noise canceling headphones. So in that situation, it dawned on me one day, like when it was the two of us in a room before somebody else, a toddler came and found us, oh, we were starting to talk a little bit. And so I just said, Hey, I'll tell you what, you want to run the store with me? Let's, and, the, and there was like an instant. Yes. Like let's, let's go drive around for a second. And so we get in the car, drive around and I just immediately it was cold outside. So I immediately like just sent all the, all the windows on auto down real fast. And when, when they started shipping, oh, it's freezing. I was like, oh, whoops, sorry about that. And I brought it back up because I wanted that change in temperature to like help hopefully like smelling salts kind of like snap a kid back into like help, help to like jumpstart that, that regulation process of like going, calming back down. And so then the feeling of having been cold for a second and then the heat coming on and starting to settle and we're moving and we're, 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 it's just the two of us after about five, 10 minutes, like floodgates open and it was not at all a hard conversation to settle what had happened and something silly as it usually is had then hurt feelings in a way that was connected to something deeper that we didn't realize. And so, and then it escalated because of you know the way that, that one of us had handled it. So like once I saw that the next time that happened, someone came up, I'm like, okay, well I can't go take a drive right now, but I can get alone real quick. So like it's either pick the kid up, take him with me. We're going to get alone for real quick. So we're starting off quiet and alone and nobody else having to hear it. Or if the car is accessible, if a walk is accessible, like you were saying, all those are side by side activities to Becca's point. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the, you know, best case scenario is you've got somebody, uh, another, another, you know, trusted adult that you can lean on. Right. So we do a lot of tag teaming at my house, especially in those really intense seasons that we've gone through. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Right. And sometimes either one, parenting partner, spouse, somebody's out of the house, like they're at work or they're gone somewhere else or whatever. Sometimes there's not somebody else. And so I think that, you know, some of these tactics are going to be a little bit messy and and you might have to have some like give and take with the kid. And, and even in that matched frustration, I, I need a minute and you're not giving me a minute and I get that. And so we're going to just work through this together, like, and making sure that your words are still communicating connection and, and, and like, hope and we're going to work through this. And if you have to match that frustration, cause you're also frustrated, you can. So over time, trying these different things, like trying these different tactics, like with the goal of getting back to a calm place is all leading to the hope that you can then repair with that kid. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think too, like in those moments, you know, as a parent, we're, we're using these examples and y'all are probably listening going like, okay, but there's more than one kid. Like, right. what am I supposed to do when like three of them are melting down and they have three different needs and I'm just one person. And so I'll just say like, we see you, like we all three, all three of us on this podcast in different settings have been the adult who's trying to regulate a lot right. of people. Right. And it's really hard. And, um, I think my best advice is you just do the best you can with mm-hmm. what you've got. And so I think, you know, as adults, you do have to know your threshold. And if you're hitting a threshold where you are going to go the other way, yeah, even if it does dysregulate your kid and you need to tap out, 
tap out. Like the principle of put your own oxygen mask on so you don't pass out (laughs) waiting on the kid. So I think there are thresholds. Like if you're in a situation, if you're a teacher that's got 30 kids, like you do have to know your threshold. And then I think too, you know, what's really hard to do when you're in intense seasons like this is to like pause, take a step back, pay attention to the patterns. Probably you can identify, I'm sure both of you with your own kids and your families, like you can identify this tends to happen more when someone's sleepy or when such and such happens or when such and such had a bad day at school. Like, and so when you can, when you're calm, when you're fully calm, maybe even away from your kids, you can like pause and think and make plans and strategies. Um, and then I think, you know, my, my last piece of advice just on the whole, like, how do you do it with a lot of people kind of idea in the classroom a lot, if we had kids who tended to kind of blow up, like dysregulate up instead of dysregulate down, you do have to like have conversations with the other kids in the space about, Hey, we're going to respect that person's space. We're going to respect that person's boundaries. We're not going to like, like poke them when they're really upset. If they're starting to get upset, we're going to try to be kind. Like you do have to do some teaching of the other people involved, whether that's siblings, whether that's classmates, whoever it may be. That's not a bad thing either. I mean, learning together as a family to respect each other and our windows of tolerance and stress capacities and all of that is that's really important. I think, um, too, you know, I'm a giant fan of being proactive. So I love that idea of like looking at the patterns. I mean, I was thinking about when you said that my family does not hang out late at night together. We, we try over and over. It just doesn't work. Y'all we've got a couple of people in my family that are not night owls, a couple people who are, but it just doesn't mix well. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a fun time for all of us. So do I wish we could be that family that stays out till like 11 PM on July 4th, having so much fun and hosting the cookout? Yes. I wish I, I wish we were those people, but we're not. So it's like coming, you know, coming to grips and and accepting the family that you have and then making smart choices. You know, like if this always happens when you're by yourself and you're like, then I'm going to be like, Oh, I can't handle that on my own. I'm not going to the Chick-fil-A play place unless Nick is with me or whatever, Right, right, right. you know? Um, and also just take, again, this could be, this is another topic, but layering in that self care, because if I am in a tough season or I've got a kid who's really learning a lot about regulation and a lot is, you know, they're just struggling in in a certain season, then more than ever, I need to take extra care of myself. Maybe, maybe that's a season where I'm getting out of the house once a week and doing my own thing or meeting up with a friend or going to bed early or waking, you know, there was a certain point in my parenthood when I, when I had to be like, you know what, I'm really dysregulated in the mornings and I hate to say this, but I think I'm going to have to start waking up an hour earlier Yeah, Yeah. and I hate it but yeah. it's so much better for my interactions. Oh yeah. yeah. Two things. I, I said two things that we can kind of close out. And one of them is an unfair thing to bring up right before the end of the podcast. And I'll admit that now, but on the parenting side, yeah, like we gotta, we gotta meet our own needs, like have to. And you know, we had a perfect example of, uh, this whole principle, everything integrated that, that'll lead into my second point here. Um, one, I'm an early riser and a night owl, which is not good for my body. And I understand that. And, you know, I'll pay for it later on in life, I'm sure. But this season does not lend itself to either going to bed super early or waking up right at the time I need to, like for me to get my needs met. So like if Elizabeth and I want to have a moment to talk at night before we both crash, like we're both going to have to stay up a little bit. We're, we got teenagers now and like, that's just kind of where we're at. Um, also like 
I, I know myself well enough to know that I'm, if I'm not regularly doing something to move my body early in the morning, I'm cooked. And so like, I, I will do the 415, 430 wake up call to go get a bike ride in, in the pitch black before with, with lights, but before sunrise, just so I can get back home having done something. And I've had time to myself before I'm interacting with everybody else. I am nicer to everybody else. I'm, I'm more on, on my game, all that. Yep. Second, uh, we got, we got to know kind of our, like our kids thresholds and be fair to them and not put them like you were talking about Jesse in situations that are, that are unfair situations for them to be at. Um, we might have different family traditions or different interests. We want to introduce our kids to. And sometimes there's ways to do that in ways that are appropriate for everybody. And, and where there is a good chance everyone can have fun, right? I love basketball. Love it. It's my favorite sport in the whole entire world. We live in Memphis. So Memphis Grizzlies are our favorite basketball team on earth. Our whole family is obsessed even down to our five-year-old. So, um, this leads into the second topic. Like, a, a NBA basketball game is especially for a good team. And there's lots of explosive cheering is a sensory nightmare. <laughs> like it is, it is a sensory overload experience. There is loud music during the intros. There are bursts of fire and firework pops Make and me stuff. jump every time, even though every I know time. they're coming every there's time like, <laughs> I almost jump out of my seat. Loud music. When number 12 gets introduced, there are gigantic loud cheers like last night. Um, our, so we got one kid that's just got some sensory sensitivities. So this is the thing I was going to bring up that you got to be mindful of in these conversations. And it's unfair to say it at the end of the podcast, because this is like a whole, a whole other podcast by itself. We're like, layering a lot of things in here, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. So one thing that you need to be mindful of, and this is something to put on your kind of curiosity radar. Do you, are you seeing some sensory sensitivities in your kids that might be the source of some of this dysregulation that's popping up, not X, Y, or Z event that might've just happened? Like, yes, the kid might've been mean or whatever, or sometimes you're going to not understand why your kid just flipped. And, uh, so for our kid, who's got some sensitivities that way, like a sudden loud noise, even if it's a happy noise, like a sudden cheer during a basketball game might throw that kid into you know, space. And so for, for us, you know, I lamented for a while, like, ah, oh, I really wish we could take this kid to the game. I think they would love it. And th- but it's just, it's just too much back and forth. Well, then this kid started asking like, well, how come I don't ever get to go to the games? I want to go to the games. Well, the Memphis Grizzlies, and this might be in every NBA arena. So like, you know, forgive my Memphis pride. If this is like, if this is just an NBA standard thing, but you can go in the arena and you can check out a sensory bag. So, you know, leave your driver's license. You check out a bag that's got noise canceling headphones, sunglasses for bright flash sensitivity, um, some fidgets in case your kids are needing to like, it's hard to sit still in the seat. Uh, we heard about this, check one of those bags out, brought this kid to the game. Uh, absolute nightmare before those headphones went on because it's rowdy. It's a, it's a fun, exciting game. And there was just a lot. And once those headphones went on, it was as if you just turned on the biggest basketball loving heart you've ever seen your entire <laughs> life. And this kid is booing at the free throw line when she's supposed to <laughs> cheering when something awesome happens, high-fiving, getting up and dancing at the breaks to the music that she can hear in an appropriate level through these headphones. It was an absolute game changer. Well, now I know, okay, if we're going to go to the game, that means I got to get there a little bit early. I want to make sure I can get time to go get that bag. Then we get set, set down. Like I got to make sure I go and you know, get some water and grab, have some food ready because like that might be another trigger if we're dehydrated and we're at the game and all that. 
last night was kind of the perfect scenario. We got to go watch a game. It was awesome. You know, Grizzlies won, which is great, but we, all the factors were in play. And then right after halftime, I was like, Hey, are you ready to go? Are you want to stay for longer? And, and, and this kid said like, I want to say the whole game, not five minutes later, like laying down, like, I'm so tired. Can we please go. I just want to leave. And I was like, done. We're out of here. And I've learned over time, like that we got to take our cues, right? Like did I want to stay at that game? You better freaking believe I want to stay at that game. Right. Like it was an amazing game. I wanted to stay, but I knew in that moment we had had as much fun as we were possibly going to have. And then it's unfair to keep them in that situation much longer. So we, we went, got up and we're leaving the game beginning of third quarter. And then it was, can we ride the escalator again? We were up in the cheap seats, like the way, way new nosebleeds up high. Can we ride the escalator again? So we walked down the stairs, get on the escalator, go back up because they just love an escalator. So all, all that said, it was one of my proudest, like, uh, meet the needs nights because we just, we, we provide, like we saw what we needed to be able to make the environment one where this kid can enjoy going to the game. And they did, they super enjoyed it. And then time was over. We left and, and woke up this morning about how awesome it was, how much fun it was like, Oh, it was so great. And so that was an experience that had we not prepared contextually correctly, it, it would be the complete opposite. And I'll be breeding this, 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 this total disdain for basketball and sports in this kid because of peripheral stuff, not the actual thing itself. So long, long, long winded way to say like meet the needs and give a chance. Let me say too. I mean, I think uh, so much of my parenting, I'm, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, you guys, and you've already had me on to talk about structure. You know that I love to like set <laughs> things up proactively. Yeah. And so if you're listening to this and you have that, you know, you're thinking like, oh man, I should have done this or that. Meltdowns happen. Yeah. They're necessary yeah. yes. in life, you know, and it doesn't signify failure all, as a yeah. parent. All the like time. Yeah. JD learned that through a series of like meltdowns of learning about his kid probably. Yeah. Right. Yes. Like you, yes. you have to go through that. And every single person goes through dysregulation every single day. <laughs> and so I guess I want to bring us around to the hope of like, it's actually necessary for development yes. to become dysregulated. Yes. It is okay when it happens. And the whole goal of, of co-regulation and learning how to self-regulate is that like becoming uncomfortable, being comforted, becoming uncomfortable, being comforted. It happens to babies a billion times a day and it happens throughout our lifetime. And we need the people in our lives to help us reach that state of comfort again. Mm -hmm. And it's only through that experience then that we build resiliency, that we become the, you know, resilient adults that we hope all of our children become. So And and we end up having those really fun basketball game nights, right? right? Like, because we're able to experience the discomfort and know, okay, this isn't forever. It's going to pass. I know what to do. So, um, yeah. yeah. And I think whenever we're hearing about regulation and the hope and how it goes, what we really want is for someone to tell us, if you will teach your kid these three (laughs) self-regulation tactics, they will become expert self-regulators. Earlier than ever. Right. And I, as a school social worker, had a self-regulation social skills group where I tried to teach self-regulation skills. Now, there are some amazing curriculums out there teaching your kids about their bodies and how they experience things and how to regulate is wonderful. But I just want to say the way that kids develop the ability to use those skills when they're stressed is you 
is your yeah. co-regulation yep. yes. is that experience over and over and over and over and over again, over time. That's how it, that's how it gets ingrained. And so yes, teach them, use fun ways to teach them, but don't be the adult who's like, we talked about this in group yesterday. Where are like, why are you not doing? I mean, that's just the truth guys. Like yeah. you want, I've been that adult. I have been that adult. That's like yesterday you sat in my office and you said you would take three right. deep breaths and go to your safe chair and you're not doing it. <laughs> like, that's not how it works. I wish it did, right. but those things are helpful. They're little scaffolded steps. They're little tools that can help. But over time, the experience is the best teacher for the kids. Yep. And we still do this as adults. Yes. I mean, let's all be honest. Jeez. Even just today, I mean, Becca gave the example of needing some co-regulation. I flipped my lid this morning in a parenting moment and had to like talk through with myself. So that's self-regulation, right? But then I got on Marco Polo and talked to my husband about it. Yeah. And guess what? He was talking about a different problem. That's co-regulation, guys. Yep. Yeah. Like we do this for each other all the time. Totally. So yeah, it's okay. I, I think the perfect place to end, Jesse, is that what you brought up a second ago, like babies cry, they're comforted, they're in distress, they're comforted, they're in distress, they're comforted. Like, and it's need expressed, need met, need expressed, need met. It's the exact same dance, whether they're two months old or 20 years old. There's this, there's this need being expressed and need being met. And the, the hope is over time that there's a slow takeover of need being expressed within the body, need being met within the body. Right. But until that point, we're not going to know until that dance continues to, to slowly ingrain that in there. So, um, that analogy works, whether you're teaching a jump shot or how to cook a pancake or, you know, how to soothe yourself when you're really, really sad or whatever. So, um, Okay. Well, we thought we'd just knock out a quick episode here. 55 minutes in, we got it done. <laughs> um, so if you stuck with us this long, awesome. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, we will be with you again soon. Well, a huge thank you to Jesse Ferris and to Becca McKay for joining me on uh, for that conversation. I just think that um, the further that we all get into parenting, the further we get into caring for kids, um, all of that, the more clear it becomes that this piece, understanding the brain and regulation and how we are able to um, go from a stress response back to our, um, you know, closed fist, so to speak, back to our regular brain, uh, that is one of the most important things for us to understand as parents. And so hopefully this is something that you are learning. Hopefully you're getting to see progress and see results in your parenting. Um, I know that we... We have as, as slow or as um, frustrating as that progress might be at times. Uh, I know that as, as we've seen that progress, it has helped us dramatically to be able to um, to keep going and just to wake up and choose to keep parenting the next day. So hopefully that's what you got out of this as well. Without any further things to talk about, any further announcements um, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empower to Connect podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empower to Connect podcast.